1: Hey, welcome back. I'm back. (laughs) Welcome back, Andrew. This is Overdue. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. And my
2: name is Andrew. Welcome, uh, Andrew. It's it's me. (laughs) I'm a back. From where? I'm a back from Italy, the old country.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh uh-huh. That's not Italian. How was it? It was good?
2: It It was as good as a pizza pie. Mwah. I kiss my fingers. That's some more, eh? <laughs> there was okay. So here's here's what my travel wisdom is. I got a lot. Like I learned a lot of travel wisdom, but here's what I learned about restaurants, oh. specifically in Italy. But like I guess anywhere. Okay. It's like if there's somebody outside trying to get you to come in, don't go in there. <laughs> if it says free Wi-Fi, don't go in there. Okay. If they have pictures of the food, don't go in there. Sure. If they actually have red and white checkered tablecloths, don't go in there. Really, that seems like like honey to you, the fly. I know it's a honeypot because <laughs> I wanted those at my at my wedding because we had pizza at our wedding and Savannah yes. was not having it. It was a bridge too far, I guess. <laughs> and yeah, so that's that's Andrew's travel tips. Okay. Did you see any Anthony's Bourdain over there? I didn't see any Anthony's Bourdain. I probably saw lots of other just regular type Anthony's. Oh, I saw I bet Mark Anthony. You were like, busts in Italy. of him. Yeah. Okay. I thought um,
1: <laughs> Oh, I'm an idiot. I thought you met Mark Antony, the singer.
2: <laughs> no. I met the guy, the Roman guy.
1: I know. I know you did. I did. I'm glad to have you back, Andrew. Uh we're gonna talk about books like it's we good do. To be back every mm-hmm. week um sure try to keep it me very much try to keep it in english um n- not your newfound native tongue italia
2: i am it is gonna be briefly very difficult not to end like service transactions with the like three yes. italian words i know mm-hmm. same thing happened to me when i came back from Amsterdam. it was in japan too like you i learned how to say thank you to somebody who gives me something uh-huh And it just is a natural, like, this a reflexive thing. The one word that I do wish, and Susanna wishes this, too, that we could, that we had an equivalent for in America is prego. Which means? Which just means everything. Ooh. Like, if you go into a restaurant and sit down, like, if they want you just to tell them what you want, they say prego. Or if you say... Thank you. They say prego because, like, technically, I guess it's your welcome, but also it can mean anything in any context. It is the ultimate service industry. It's word. like you're welcome. It's go ahead. It's basically like what can I do for you or something, but it's also your welcome. Sure. I don't know. It's just it means everything, and we don't have an equivalent for it here in the here in the states. You know, the, I think the, it's, the states think it's like, as they call them.
1: I think it's like yeah, boy. That's the equivalent.
2: Yeah, right. That's exactly right. When you go into a nice restaurant and they're like, "Yeah, boy, <laughs> let me scrape the crumbs. Who wants, off your to, table. who wants to sample the wine?
1: Yeah, boy. Yeah, boy. I'll have your. I'll have the house red.
2: Yeah, boy.
1: Yeah, boy." So we're gonna talk about uh, Sid Hartha, which is a book by Herman Hesse. Hesse. They, Hesse. Excuse me. Um, I looked not, it up. Not the Hesse. Surprise. Herman Hesse. I looked Hesse. something up. Uh, this is a recommendation from listener and supporter of the show, Jan. Thank you, Jan, for recommending this book. I read this book in high school, Andrew, and I'm glad that you read it for the show because I don't remember much about it.
2: Uh, at least you actually read it for high school instead I did. of you just being assigned it in high school and then not reading it. Which Funnily is what you enough, usually do.
1: most of those books were in English class. This was assigned to me in like a civic, like a world studies class. Okay and i think was like a launching point for actual information about buddhism i don't think the book was used as a substitute for actual information but i think it was a like hey, it's a, we're that's read a weird book
2: it's a weird bridge like here we're going to learn about buddhism here is a german man writing tangentially about eastern religion as you're yeah. like jumping off point but it does it does it uses a very simple language which makes it actually popular for people who are learning German like Hesse's writing is and um and yeah it it makes it makes a lot of abstract concepts like fairly accessible so I I guess I can see the the value in doing that but what can you tell me about this guy Hermann Hesse who was born in 1877 and died in 1962 and wrote
1: books and stuff well you took Two of my facts, so thanks. Uh <laughs> um, mine now. He was born in Württemberg uh, as part of the German Empire, which is how you know. That, that to me was like, huh. Yeah, I guess it was an empire back then. It wasn't a country. Everybody
2: was trying to have an empire yeah. for a while.
1: Um, his grandparents were like Protestant missionaries in India. I think even his parents had done some of that work. Uh, I think his grandfather worked to compile an English dictionary for the Indian language of Malayam, um, which like that's just a good reminder. There's a whole bunch of stuff in the world that I don't know. Like there, I've run across historical figures like this. From like you did, that's impressive. <laughs> that's you
0: did I'm more work, a, yeah.
1: on a thing I don't even know anything about than I will ever. I'm do such on a season
2: I'm such a seasoned world traveler now that you like you would be. You could be forgiven if you think that I did know everything, but I don't know everything. Like I, I just found out that Italy had kings up until like <laughs> 70 years ago. And they actually mostly like kind of sucked. <laughs> <laughs> or at least the the modern one, like the last four of them who kind of closed out Italy's king having, like they're best known for letting Mussolini happen. Basically. Oh,
1: good job Kings. I believe Hesse's mom was actually born in India. Uh, Another thing about this, here are words I didn't know. Um, Mm -hmm. Wikipedia says that Hesse was a Swabian, or maybe his father was a Swabian Pietist.
2: Uh, what you're gonna have to tell me what either of those words mean? Yeah, that's what I had to do, and so then also what they mean next to each other. Great. So Swabia is a
1: is a region in Germany in the southwest part of Germany. I imagine that if you pronounce pronounce it in German, it's a little different. Um, and Pietism or Pietism maybe is a subset of German Lutheranism that uh was based on like individual piety. You didn't need an organized church, or at least the laity should be involved in the governance of that church. Uh, very controversial. It led to various forms of evangelical evangel evangelism? Evangelicalism? Theology.
2: Evangelism is a word.
1: Evangelical yeah, is a word. There's it's one of the two. Um I'm
2: just not sure what you'd mean.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, but I think that lays a groundwork. There's like a theology the a theological tradition in his family that lays some groundwork for the like butting up against Buddhism that we're going to get in this book. Yeah. Sure. Um, At a very early age, Hesse identified his like aspirations to be a poet and to like, didn't really do well in normal rigid education. He
2: spent a year. He also showed a lot of signs of like depression and other mental problems like Mm -hmm. pretty early on. Right.
1: Yeah. He, he did spend a year at the seminary at Mulbron Abbey in 1891. Um, but he only made it like a year before he attempted to take his own life and spent time at several institutions uh, before like fi- like finishing up his education elsewhere. Uh, he then went into like doing mechanic work and like working at a bookshop. And he would spend like 10 or 12 hours a day like organizing books and like packing them and stuff and then go home and like read philosophers, which is like he was able to clear out his brain during the day. This kind of feels like a move. It kind of feels like Eight Mile, where like <laughs> you build cars all day, and then you get to go have rap battles because you're saving except, your art, you're saving your brain for the nighttime art.
2: Yeah, except he he didn't have a lot of friends, so he wasn't like he wasn't rap battling anybody so much as he was just thinking. You don't alone. rap battle to make friends, Andrew. You rap battle to destroy
1: people. Okay, you, you're
2: destroying the person you're battling against, but surely you want the people on the sidelines who are watching. Like, if a battle happens, sure. no one's there to watch it. Did it actually happen? <laughs> That's I don't know. A good question. These are the kinds of questions we're going to get into.
1: <laughs> I also made a note that it's like it's like making pizzas all day, and well, he was like going home and reading Nietzsche, like. Oh, I made all these delicious pizzas for people, and now let me go read about how God is dead. That sounds like a good Saturday. So you me. could
2: almost do like, a rap about that, because like, pizza and Nietzsche are sort uh, of like, a
1: slant rhyme there. Ooh, you picked up some new tools of the trade over in Italy, I see. This is just
2: like, I know a lot about the words that rhyme with pizza, because I <laughs> ate so much pizza in Italy.
1: Some, some of Hesse's poems were published in 1901, 1902, he started picking up... <laughs> Uh, you know, paid gigs as a writer. He first got married in 1904. He would go on to be married at least two more times.
2: Yeah, he was married three times, and the third one is the one that stuck. Like he he was yeah, his first yeah. marriage. Um, she had her own. Um, do you, do you have schizophrenia? Her name you? Um, she's a member yeah. of the
1: Bern- of the Bernoulli family. I think her first name is Maria, but I don't want to get. Yeah, that, it is it is right? Maria.
2: She she had her own. Issues and their marriage, like they had um, three or four kids together, I think, but um, yeah, their marriage was troubled. I think she she ended up eventually being institutionalized.
1: Yeah, she was suffering from schizophrenia. He was seeing a psychotherapist. He would go on to get pretty interested in Carl Jung after that. Um, But he. That you know, prove insurmountable for him as a husband. Right. Um, And then
2: then the second marriage was in 1924. I think it didn't last long. And then his third and last marriage was in 27. Sure. I want to say. It was in
1: those years in the twenties when he got a lot of writing done. He had purchased a large property called Casa Camuzzi, uh, which is in Germany, even though it feels uh, Italian. Um, That's where he wrote Siddhartha, other novels including steppenwolf and the glass bead game and uh he was kind of le- like living an ascetic, like off on off on his own lifestyle which is a through line of a lot of his work anyway
2: sure yeah yeah yeah, yeah.
1: um so his first published novel peter comminson was uh in like the 19 aughts he did travel to sri lanka and indonesia in 1911 um which again mostly i bring up just because of some of the topics of this book and his interest in uh that part of the world he was unfit for combat duty in world war one though he did enlist as a volunteer for the german empire worth noting um he did like sour on nationalistic militaristic germany um, he, yeah, he
2: was not big into nationalism, no. which it, like during World War II didn't
1: serve his career super well. Well, and it started um, it started during World War One, and he got a lot of flack right, for yeah. it. He wrote this essay called Oh, Friends, Not These Tones," um, and there's this great there's this quote from it that "Love is greater than hate, understanding greater than ire, peace nobler than war." This exactly is what this unholy world war should burn into our memories more so than ever felt before. Yeah, Um, and so
2: as as I was reading, like he, I believe he lived in Switzerland during World War II, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And um, from there, he tried to help, like financially support writers in Germany who were were speaking out against against like this this militant nationalism and and Nazism in particular. Yes, Um, and his books. I don't think his books were banned in Germany during this period, but they were. (laughs) <laughs> they were not recommended by the government. Let's just say I think
1: the Nazis may have ended up banning him officially. Like what? Like this... I
2: have this like mini biography of him in the back of the Kindle okay. edition of this book that I buy, and it said not not banned, but seen as like. Okay, sure. Objectionable, or I forget what the specific term is, but yeah. And that may have
1: been because, in what I was able to find, he did not publicly condemn Nazism. Like, he had been publicly denouncing forms of anti-Semitism and other things like that. But I think out of his his personal beliefs about, like, when and what to say about politics, he didn't want to condemn a specific, like, I don't I don't know how you, I That's don't know interesting, how you thread that needle.
2: Yeah, I was going to say, because, like, if you don't like anti-Semitism and you don't like nationalism, like what is left?
1: (laughs) Don't. Uh. (laughs) And it seems, I don't know. That seems more to be about the, like his own personal feelings about a public statement like that. While what you say is like, he was doing work and he was like, you know, trying to create some better work in the world.
2: Well, and like maybe there's like, and I think we're, we're seeing a little bit of this now, or there's maybe some, some hesitancy. Like you want to, condemn the movement, but you also don't want to like condemn individuals who may support it or who may support parts of it or or you know, yeah. like every every hand ringy yeah that's piece true. about from the from the Midwest about like Trump voters, I think it, it reflects a sort of like a, an unwillingness to completely tie the the like a movement's supporters to the figureheads of that movement. Yeah, that's you know?
1: true. I feel I feel that. Um, he did receive the Nobel Prize for Literature in 1946, but he went, and he did, as we said, he died in 1962, uh, where a lot of the obituaries that showed up in the West were like, not a lot of people read this guy. <laughs> and so people started reading him, and in particular- Yeah, he's a big
2: icon yes. in like the 60s and 70s for- in the counterculture, yeah. The counterculture as as people sort of, like they were, they were looking- elsewhere like not they weren't just looking at like western like christianity and and things Mm -hmm. like that for their values so like interest in eastern religions was up like just interest in doing things differently from how your parents had done them was up yep and that helped his his writings become more popular in america from there
1: yeah and you can there are two counterculture writers colin wilson and tim leary who wrote about him a lot that helped popularize his work Um, and then started getting translated and and disseminated from there uh i think that's kind of interesting because i don't know if we have a culture is so fragmented right now that i don't know that there's a a way for anything like this to occur again you know like i don't think that like there's certainly cultural forces at work right now and and We'll see what crystallizes in the next few years in terms of what exactly a counterculture movement is, if there is one, because those things come in cycles. But I don't know that you could just, like, stumble upon an author and have them become the mascot for you. Yeah, I mean, I just... Not that he was the only mascot for this movement. No, no, no,
2: no, no. no. Um, Like... As, as we talk about a lot on this show, like we are not book experts. we're not we're sure, not experts true. on the publishing industry. like I just don't I don't know enough about what people are doing in English, let alone like Spanish or German or, or in any other point. place on earth. like i I don't know what folks are doing well enough to say like who's getting who's getting important, who's getting like recognition by being signal boosted by like other prominent voices i just i i don't feel confident saying like we don't have anybody who is getting the sort of contact popularity right now you know no
1: uh, yeah and, and again i i wonder if like in the 60s and 70s you would have said that he is was as big a deal as you would look back and say now like that might just be like a hindsight thing where you can kind of just quantify it yeah, uh, maybe. And it's it's
2: certainly true that that um, gatekeepers and, and getting recommendations from high profile media people was a was a more efficient way to discover things than it not is more now. efficient, but like it was it was a more predictable way for yes. things to get a lot of attention than yeah. it is now.
1: Yeah. And, you know, they were they were still dreaming about the Internet back then. So who even knows anymore? Yeah, it's just
2: a a twinkle in Al Gore's eye was the internet back then. (laughs) Al Gore had sex with
1: DARPA and made the internet. That's (laughs) how it works, everyone. Andrew, let's talk about this book now.
2: Okay, do we need to like, do we want to take a break to mention any of the stuff we got coming up? Are we good or what? We didn't talk about this.
1: You want to do a break? Let's just do a break.
2: Craig, that's my name. Andrew, what's up? <laughs> we got two live shows coming up. It's like a tour, except only two shows. Can you how many shows do you need to call it a tour?
1: I think it's two. At what
2: point does it stop being two individual shows next to each other and start being a tour?
1: Well, I think it's a tour. It, I The only reason I don't know that it's a tour is because one of the places will be is the city where you and I live. So it's like a, we're doing a jaunt and then a homecoming show. Let's think about it yeah.
2: that way, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, great. So we're doing we're doing a jaunt and a homecoming show in July. <laughs> the jaunt is happening in Boston on July was it fifteenth? Is that right? Demundo. We're going to be at the PRX Podcast Garage with our friends Christina and Camille from the Unfriendly Black Hotties podcast. Um, we're going to be reading uh, was it The Rats of Nim, Mrs. Frisbee, and The Rats of Nim. Yeah, that, that book got renamed after its movie came out. The Secret not, of the
1: Rats of Nim or something. Yeah. Yeah,
2: whatever it is. You, y'all know. Y'all know about them rats. Yeah, boy. <laughs> um. Yeah, ticket. If you want to find out more about that show or you want to buy tickets, you can find out more at bit.ly slash overdue hotties. That's hotties, H O T T I E S. Mm hmm. Um, General admission tickets are 10 bucks. We still have a few left, but they're going pretty fast. So, if you are interested, like go there and figure out more like now. Go and over there, do it. There's Stop a listening bar. to me, just hit pause. We'll still be here when you And get there's
1: back. a bar across the street that we'll go to afterwards and hang out and say hello. And you'll get to meet Christina and Camille, and they're super cool. And you'll f- like their show because they're going to do a great job. Like you, they're come. like
2: way too cool to be friends with us. Yeah, so, get but ready. like don't, but like don't tell them because I don't want them to realize that Andrew, we didn't tell like, them to uh, stop until, the, until to this part a- until after the show has happened. I just don't want them to realize that oh, they are suckers for being. <laughs> <laughs> All right. For associating their brand with ours. What's the other show?
1: Craig? Okay, suckers. You can come to us to our homecoming in Philadelphia on Sunday, July 23rd, as part of the Philly Podcast Festival. Um, we're going to be at the Kitchen Table Gallery at 5 p.m. Uh, t- this is free, so come on out and hang out with us in Philadelphia. Um, we're going to be talking about Anne of Green Gables, Andrew. Who? You're reading it.
2: I am. Yeah, you said you, said, I you, knew you that. made a
1: noise like you didn't know that.
2: No, I'm, I'm making a noise. That was a noise of surprise. <laughs> like, so, yeah, pleasant, come hang like, out with, with us. Yeah.
1: See us there. There's a bunch of other shows. You can find out more at phillypodfest.com. Yeah, um, and we
2: don't have any specific like post-show hangouts strategy right now but i'm sure we'll figure something out if people want to come out and then talk to us after like you we've know, done that at past pod fest and it's been a fun time so
1: that's that come out see us jaunt up to boston and come on home with us to philly yeah july yeah boy okay bye <laughs> so andrew why don't we talk about the book Which book? Siddhartha.
2: Oh, yeah, that one. Was I supposed to read that? I hope you did,
1: because the rest Uh, of the show is going to be weird if you didn't.
2: I read it. I'm just goofing on you. Uh, (laughs) Were you eating a pizza when you read the book? No, I don't think I was eating a pizza when I read any part of it. Okay. I don't think. Unless, well, I mean, when I was flying back on a plane yesterday, they served a little box that was full of something that they said was pizza. Great. Okay. And I may have been reading and eating that at the same Assemble time. Assemble it with your mind. <laughs> so. so Siddhartha is, it's, um it's the name of the book. It's the name of the protagonist. It's also um t- made, it's a name that's made up of two Sanskrit words. One that is um, Siddha or Siddha, which is achieved. And then Artha, which means what is searched for. So achieved what has what was
1: searched for and it's worth noting that uh siddhartha gautama is also one of the names of gautama buddha who is the buddha of buddhism when you're talking yeah when you're talking about buddhism he is he is the in as much as we know that that guy existed, which people are he is yeah, fascinated.
2: he is probably a person who existed and it is upon his teachings the Gautama Buddha that Buddhism is is founded yes, and Siddhartha like meets this guy and talks to him. so the
1: Siddhartha <laughs> of the novel, yes, that guy's in the book. okay, cool. so it's
2: yeah, so this this Buddha figure and and he was alive in like the fifth or sixth century yes. BC to the extent Correct. that we know anything about like about him like many um religious figures it's sort of debatable like whether there was a historical person and like when that person existed but like to the extent that we know that he was a real guy um yeah we're talking like 5th or 6th century BC and mm-hmm. we're in India mhm and there's this guy Siddhartha and he is just like looking for enlightenment basically like he's looking for i don't know like like I guess like, how would you define enlightenment yourself? Like, I, I think generally it's, like, the meaning of life or, like, maybe it's happiness or maybe it's just contentment or maybe it's just understanding.
1: Yeah. What's what's interesting about enlightenment as a concept, because you, you talk about the, the enlightenment as the era, which is a, like particular european thing that has to do with a bunch of culture and ways of thinking and then there's enlightenment within the teachings of religions like buddhism and then there's just this like what the question you asked me which is like what the heck does the word mean to you and it has to do with like knowledge that isn't just facts it's in it's like knowledge about the way the world works and a knowledge that'll like put you at ease when it comes to existence. Like, yeah, just like kind of, you get yeah. it. You just <laughs> get
2: it. <laughs> I feel like it's, yeah, it, it's some combination of not just knowledge. And we're, and we're going to talk a little bit about the, about like the difference between knowledge and experience and oh, like, sure. just teachings. And like, and there is a whole bunch of stuff. We're going to dig into a lot of stuff. Um, But yeah, it's it's knowledge plus your like personal relationship to that knowledge and like comfort with it, I guess. Yeah, sure. It's very it's very loose and like hard to define, which maybe is why so few people achieve nirvana. (laughs) Yeah, and
1: Nirvana, we're you know, talking about the Buddhist. I swear to God,
2: if you make a joke about Nirvana, the band, I am out. I wasn't sure which
1: joke to make, so I couldn't make any. That I got like excited about
2: no making a w- making one just no okay
1: if you just no okay well you're editing this episode so I can't put a Nirvana song at the end is all I'll say y- you can't
2: <laughs> so um, just come as you are and describe this book just... <laughs> describe what you think enlightenment is
1: it's it's when you can put all of existence in a little heart-shaped box just for you <laughs> Uh, so, you know, Nirvana yeah, and Buddhism. In, in, in,
2: ut- in utero oh. cut. That's good. I thought we were just going to be nevermind this whole time.
1: God, it smells in here, Andrew.
2: It smells uh-huh. like
1: teen spirit. No, it doesn't. Smell it so bad. <laughs> here we are now. Entertain me. Oh, man, I'm so tired. Still. I know, I know.
2: You're, you're going to make it, though. I'm so, so tired. So Siddhartha goes through like let's call it half a dozen different phases of his of his search for enlightenment. Oh,
1: I think yeah, okay.
2: Mm-hmm. What were you gonna say? Well, is I, another how, Nirvana joke? Because no,
1: I think isn't the number like isn't twelve? Like, are there twelve chapters to this book or something? Because there is like that that might the numbering is. I mean important. there
2: there are there are two books like yeah not two, two, books, two parts. but, like two parts okay okay split up into several chapters but like going through his um little like mini arcs in his quest for enlightenment. I count like five or maybe six depending okay. on how you define things. Cool. Okay. And if you, I guess if you counted like there as being like an upward motion and then a downward motion for all of those, you could get to 12. So.
1: Well, cause the eightfold path is like a teaching of Buddhism and then there are also the four noble truths. So I was, I wasn't sure if there was a specific numbering on Hess's part
2: if there um, is, I am completely unaware of it. Okay, <laughs> so we're cool. just gonna act like there isn't one. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we'll come to that knowledge later. So tell me more about the Siddhartha gentleman.
2: So the first the first part of the book is Siddhartha at home with his like his father and his mother and his his nurse and his friend Govinda and um and him coming to this realization that he is not gonna be like happy with this situation like um so i'm I'm gonna i've got a bunch of quotes to read from the book just because i think they probably put things better than i will figure out how to okay um siddhartha started to nurse discontent in himself he had started to feel that the love of his father and the love of his mother and also the love of his friend govinda would not bring him joy forever and ever would not nurse him feed him satisfy him huh Okay. Um, he had started to suspect that his venerable father and his other teachers, the wise Brahmins, had already revealed to him the most and the best of their wisdom, that they had already filled his expecting vessel with their richness, and the vessel was not full, the spirit was not content, the soul was not calm, the heart was not satisfied. Um, so yeah, like he's, he is living his life, but he is still kind of unsatisfied, and he feels like he's gotten pretty much everything he can get from this particular setting.
1: And he is he like a rich guy? Is he well to do? No, not really. Okay, no. Okay,
2: no. He is he is from the beginning like sort of sort of religious. And his his second little phase here is um, he and his friend uh, Govinda become ascetics. Okay, and they give up like they like uh, Siddhartha leaves home and and. He says to his father, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to leave. And his dad is like, no, you're not. And Siddhartha like stands there for like three days. And he's like, I'm not going anywhere or doing anything until you tell me I can leave. Whoa.
1: That's a cool so protest. Leaves.
2: Okay. Yeah. So he didn't go to leave and they give up um, most of their, like all of their possessions and most of their like ties except to each other. And this is the phase where they meet the uh, Gautama Buddha. Okay, and they you know they they partake of his teachings, even though like Siddhartha is still like he's not he's super, really hungry
1: for it it se- it seems like he's but. like
2: he's hungry for it, but also like feeling like it's not really gonna be super helpful. oh okay, him. like he's he's saying, you know I've heard I've heard the teachings of the Buddha like it's been second or third hand, but I don't really know that this is gonna show me anything new. Like that hmm. I don't already know. Hmm. Okay. So they go and they hear the, t- the teachings of this Buddha and Govinda is sold. Like he becomes a Buddhist. Oh, okay. He's like, I'm gonna give I'm gonna give this up. I'm gonna join up and I'm gonna I'm gonna be a Buddhist now. And Siddhartha, like, he talks to he talks to the Gautama Buddha and um they have this conversation about man, like it's it's just about like the teachings, teachings versus opinions. Huh. Okay. And like, I, okay, so I'm going to go into some quotes again. And I, f- I feel like this is just, this is maybe a, like a, a cautionary tale about the hot take economy also. Like maybe that's just like the perspective <laughs> that I'm coming at this from. Certainly how Hessa meant it for sure. Sure. Right. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I'm I'm going to go for a bit here. So this is their, this is their. Conversation uh, quoth Siddhartha, one thing O oh, most venerable one, I have admired in your teaching most of all, everything in your teachings is perfectly clear, is proven. you are presenting the world as a perfect chain, a chain which is never and nowhere broken, an eternal chain, the links of which are causes and effects. Never before this has been so clearly, never before, uh, never before this has been seen so clearly, never before this has been presented so irrefutably. Truly the heart of every Brahmin has to beat stronger with love once he has seen the world through your teachings perfectly connected, without gaps, clear as a crystal, not depending on chance, not depending on gods, whether it may be good or bad, whether living according to it would be suffering or joy. I do not wish to discuss. Possibly this is not essential, but the uniformity of the world that everything which happens is connected, that the great and small things are all encompassed by the same forces of time, by the same law of causes of coming into being and of dying. This is what shines brightly out of your exalted teachings, O perfected one. But according to your very own teachings, this unity and necessary sequence of all things is nevertheless broken in one place through a small gap. This world of unity is invaded by something alien, something new, something which had not been there before and which cannot be demonstrated and cannot be proven. These are your teachings of overcoming the world of salvation. But with this small gap, with the small breach, the entire eternal and uniform law of the world is breaking apart again and becomes void. Pre- Please forgive me for expressing this objection. Uh, quietly, Gautama had listened to him unmoved. Now he spoke the perfected one with his kind, with his polite and clear voice. You've heard the teachings, O son of a Brahmin, and good for you that you've thought about it thus deeply. You've found a gap in it, an error. You should think about this further, but be warned, O seeker of knowledge, that the thicket. uh, the, mm, All right, got a weird line breaking my Kindle. That's okay. Here. Just gonna be quiet for a sec so I know what to edit this. You should think about this further, but be warned, O seeker of knowledge, of the thicket of opinions and of arguing about words. There is nothing to opinions. They may be beautiful or ugly, smart or foolish. Everyone can support them or discard them. But the teachings you've heard from me are no opinion, and their goal is not to explain the world to those who seek knowledge. They have a different goal. Their goal is salvation from suffering. This is what Gautama teaches, nothing else. Um, And then it goes a little bit longer. So cool it with your Um, takes. (laughs) Yeah, basically, is, like, every, like opinions are dumb. Like, they're fine, but, like, they don't mean anything. Okay. Um, and then it goes on for a little bit. And then Siddhartha's, like, core, I guess, exception to the the Buddha's teachings are. Uh, but there is one thing which these so clear, these so venerable teachings do not contain. They do not contain the mystery of what the Exalted One has experienced for himself He alone among hundreds of thousands. Hmm. So like your your own personal not only is like a person's own personal experience not encompassed by the teachings, but also whatever the Gautama Buddha has experienced that has made him come to these conclusions is not being conveyed by the teachings, if that that makes sense.
1: Yeah, and that seems to be like a central uh tension of this type of belief system where it's like you have to see it to believe it or you have to experience it and it's not about faith necessarily it's about work and about uh devotion
2: right and if if there is a like a if there is a belief core at the core of this book it is like siddhartha only comes to enlightenment after many, many, many years of many, many experiences. And we're going to, we're going to talk a little bit more about the experiences because that's just what talking about the book is, is it talking about everything that he goes through and, and all of his different stages of thinking. But um, to skip ahead to the end, I guess is so Siddhartha and his friend Govinda, like they parted ways pretty early. And then at the end, after Siddhartha has gone through this entire life of experiences and, and, And they've been like vastly different and they've been kind of all over the place. Um, Govinda asks Siddhartha, like, what have you, like, what, like, what wisdom have you attained? Like, what do you, what can you share with me? Yeah. And Siddhartha says, wisdom cannot be passed on. Wisdom which a wise man tries to pass on to someone else always sounds like foolishness. Uh, knowledge can be conveyed, but not wisdom. It can be found. It can be lived. It is possible to be carried by it. Miracles can be performed with it, but it cannot be expressed in words and taught. Hmm. Um, this is what this was, what I, even as a young man, sometimes suspected what has driven me away from the teachers. Um, and then he he goes on to talk a little bit about like once you when you try to put. Stuff in your brain into words, there is like inherently a disconnect. Sure. Because vocabulary is only like this is a problem we have on this show all the time is because vocabulary <laughs> is inherently limited. And in expressing something, you have like not only is there that connection between your brain and your mouth that is maybe shifting ideas, but then also your words are heard by people and their brains are going to do whatever with it.
1: Yeah. No, that's that's good. I I buy that. Um, it's it's why I think this and and think about this book as like a uh, a thing that Westerners have certainly latched onto. And in the mid to late twentieth century, um, I I cannot speak for why the teachings endure for you know thousands of years, but just like why did this book register with a bunch of people who were looking for different answers in the sixties and seventies and potentially even now of just like it's not about a bunch of things that you have to believe in. It's about a bunch of like things that you personally have control over whether or not you are gonna pursue. Right. Like the path yeah, yeah. is the you know, the the eightfold path is a bunch of things that you commit to doing for yourself. And nothing like it's not about whether or not you believe what someone else said. It's not about whether or not you believe in a particular mythology. It's like you think that these are these are things worth doing, Um which is different. Yeah. It's 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 I mean, you can there are analogies to other belief systems, other religions, um, but it's about the work. At least in this telling, anyway. Certainly.
2: Yeah, yeah, and I, I think that the the bit about like knowledge versus wisdom is important to more than just religious searches, right? Sure, like sure. it's like I've been thinking, like our friend Catherine like just had a new baby, and like mm-hmm. we're at the age where we're like, you know, we're both married, and we're both like thinking about it. I'm I'm sure, um, and just thinking, okay, I have this person, and I got to teach him like how to survive in the world. But I'm not like you know you you know from being a kid or a teenager or whatever your parents are going to tell you stuff and you're not going to listen to them because mm-hmm. what do they know I know everything I'm a teen <laughs>
1: <laughs> you're also invincible I don't know if you knew yes that. Teens right are invincible. yes
2: they are invincible it makes them really hard to kill yes it's just true. speaking from personal experience <laughs> um. And I, like, I experienced this, like, as an older sibling, I experienced this a little bit with my sister and brother, too, is I would try to say, okay, like, I've had student loans, I've gotten a job, like, here are some things I'm going to tell you about what is helpful, and they, you know, they they can hear that, and they can do whatever they want with it, like, they're not necessarily going to listen to that and absorb it as it was intended, and actually learn anything from it, so...
1: But yes, yes, they're not until they've experienced it.
2: Right. And, and then they can come back and they, see, they can say, Andrew, you were right this whole time. And I can say, yeah, I know. Right. That's all you want, isn't it? It's like not not what I want. <laughs> but that sort of sounds like what you said.
1: Sid objection was, was like, why can't you just tell me the thing that will make this make perfect sense for me? Exactly. Like like,
2: like there's a there is a frustration on the part of both the person who is trying to impart the wisdom and the person who has come to ask for wisdom.
1: Yes. And and I would I wonder if the Buddha would also say, like, part of the part of this frustration is part of your journey to that wisdom, like you asking, not getting the answer and then having to go and live anyway and then learn from whatever the heck you did. Is like part of this work. Or you can view it. Yeah like
2: I, don't know, I don't know if that's what the. I don't know if that's what the Buddha is saying. Like the Buddha is just saying the teachings are true. And the teachings are great. And here are my teachings.
1: Well they'll be here when you come back after questioning them. Because he's like go sure, on and think I, about I your question. Is what but he like
2: I. I hesitate to say that this is like a Buddhist book. Both because I don't know enough to say that. And because uh, Hesse himself. Was. Like he did not subscribe to any particular. No, religion. Like I have a I have a quote from him Mm -hmm. that I got from the end of the little like the biographical section and the copy of Siddhartha I read um, where he says, I believe one religion is as good as the other. There is none in which one could not become a sage and none in which one could not just as easily engage in the most inane form of idolatry.
1: Yeah, there's another quote from him where he said that um, of all the religions Christianity had the greatest impact on him as a as a person, but that's not a reflection on like his value. He's not trying to make a reflection on his own value system. He's just like factually, much Somebody of my can life can have an
2: impact without yes. it being like yeah, yeah. without and, you like necessarily agreeing with it or loving it.
1: And to this like whole wisdom in teacher stuff, there's another quote from him about Siddhartha, and we should this will maybe take us into some of the other events of the book. Andrew Hesse says, Siddhartha does not in the end learn true wisdom from any teacher, but from a river that roars in a funny way, and from a kindly old fool who always smiles and is secretly a saint. Um, so he's clearly not learning true wisdom from the Buddha. What is this river, and what is this fool? And who else do we maybe meet in this book?
2: Well, so let's to to get to the river and to the and to the secret saint, we have to go through like what is probably what the part of the book I was most interested in, because I guess I was expecting from like the first third of it or so that it was going to be some like wandering, seeking truth, like stereotypical Buddhist religious sort of thing like it was going to be
1: easy in its definition okay well
2: not even just easy in its definition but just like this is this is the kind of self-discovery we're going for is just like a guy giving up everything and sitting and thinking until he finds what enlightenment is but no the next thing he does after leaving the Buddha and his friend Govinda is he um meets this courtesan named Kamala who has a mouth like a split fig Whoa! And, is that a good um, thing? Yes.
1: Okay. <laughs> i never is look very, at figs another way again.
2: She is very beautiful and and very skilled in the ways of of boning.
1: Oh, <laughs> uh, the the traditional term for it.
2: Yeah. So he he comes to her and he's got no possessions and he's got he doesn't have good clothes. and He doesn't have anything, and she. Hooks him up with this merchant in town like he's in a city like he is he has gone across this river with this ferryman who he can't give anything. But the ferryman's like, just go like, I'm sure you'll find a way to pay me back okay. eventually some some way. And he meets this courtesan. He hooks up with this merchant. And some of the like a lot of the things he learned in his life as an ascetic, Um, the three skills that he lists are he can think he can wait and he can fast. Okay. And fasting is is valuable because like hunger drives a lot of stuff. Like if like say you're Craig and I you're just like out in the world doing whatever. Yeah. Like you have to be thinking all the time in the back of your mind like if I don't eat I'm going to die. And so I have to be able to, to eat all the time. Like even if even if I get divorced and I lose my job and I lose my apartment and I lose everything, I have to still figure out how to get either money for food or food. Like I just have to be able to eat. Okay. And that's gonna maybe make you do stuff that you wouldn't otherwise wanna do, right? I guess. Why do you seem so confused about this? You I'm, know what food is, right?
1: I know. I'm confused as to the point you're making, but sure
2: it's not the point I'm making. It's the point he's making. Like the, like the merchant asks him what on earth is fasting? Like teaching you, like, what is it doing for you? Okay. And he's like, I can like, I can wait for what I want to come along because I don't have to like, I don't have to like beg or, or take a job I don't want to take or whatever, like to get access to food. Cause I can fast. And so it's fine.
1: Okay. Okay. That makes Does that okay. make more sense. I think so. It, it, tosses some kind of material possessions out the window because I'm, I am able
2: to put that aside. Okay. I'm able to go without them for a while. Sure. Okay. Okay. And so he like these, these qualities that he learned in his life of like wandering and more overt, like religiousness serve him well as a merchant because like he, there's this story where he goes to a town to like pick up some stuff that his, that, the merchant guy who's like taking him under his wing has bought, and when he gets to that town, it's it's revealed that that stuff was sold to somebody else who came along and like bid more money for it or something. And so the mer like and so Siddhartha like he stays in that town for a few days and he just like chills out with the locals and he has a good time. And he talks to people, and he builds up goodwill. And he comes back, and the, and the merchant is mad at him. Like, why did you not just turn around and come back when that stuff that that I sent you there for is was not like actually there for you to pick up? And Siddhartha's like, well, like I went there and I like forged good ties, and now the next time I need to go there for anything, like people are going to know me and they're going to think well of me, and like in the long term, it'll be better.
1: Okay, that's a good. So he's playing the long con, so he's picked up the skill of the long con, is what you're yes, saying. Yes,
2: which is essential. Like, like when we started a podcast, it was kind of a long con. Yeah. Because we were like, like nobody's going to listen to this at first, but eventually it's going to bring in untold riches. Yes, and go on cause for- Because we're just going to pretend like we know about books for years and years.
1: And until eventually people find it endearing. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that was the con all along. yeah. I just like Suckers, the idea. You just got punked.
1: I like the idea of rolling into a town, going, "Well, the thing's not here. The thing I wanted isn't here. Time to make some buds and just like time to roll party, them. yeah." And, and just you like crack open a and
2: Corona <laughs> and you just like chill.
1: Man, you know all the lyrics to my favorite songs. You're my new best friend," said Hartha.
2: <laughs> um, and and so he's he's succeeding in business but he doesn't really like care about it. He he sees it as a bit of a game and he also sees himself as a bit above it all because he's not motivated necessarily by like the baser
1: instincts parts of it. Of it. Sure. Like, okay.
2: yeah. But as you know, he's in this town, he's, he's getting bone in instructions from Kamala and they're just like doing it all the time. And he's hanging out with this merchant and he's getting better at business and he's getting a lot of money and he owns this. He buys a house and he has a garden and he's doing really well. And he is staying in the town for like years and years and years until he's into his middle age. And as he stays, he sort of forgets the the values that he brought to it in the first place, like from his more religious lifestyle. And he starts to like want to have money just for the sake of having money, and he starts like gambling and and succumbing to greed and just generally the cycle
1: gets the better of him,
2: yeah basically yeah, yeah. Okay. um slowly, the disease of the soul which rich people have grabbed hold of him um he only noticed that this bright and reliable voice inside of him, which had awoken in him at that time and had guided him had ever guided him in his best times had become silent so he feels like something inside him has either clammed up or died and he is no longer being like he has this dream where there's like a golden bird or something that like lives inside him that's not alive anymore
1: can't hear you bird you're pu- you can't hear buried. you i'm rattling
2: these dice too hard you're
1: buried under all that money bird i can't hear you under- over the <laughs>
2: benjamins i can't hear you over my doubloons so he Eventually, like he realizes that he's lost something. Yeah, Not and so any he just money, like though. he just no, he he's lost something valuable inside him. So he okay. just like gets up and he goes, just walks away. Yeah, and he ends up by this river, and he, he entertain he entertains the notion of like drowning himself and just and and ending it all. Okay, because he thinks you know he thinks that this thing inside him has died and he doesn't have anything to live for anymore. But he hears this river, like, talking to him, like, imparting wisdom to him.
1: Like, and in actual words, like, in dialogue quotes?
2: No, not in, like, dialogue quotes, just in, like, he listens to the river and he has realizations, basically. Okay, okay.
1: It's not like a speaking character. It's more he is, like, getting vibes. He's picking up what the river's putting down.
2: Right, which is water and probably advice. So this the fourth phase that we go through is he's is, he's is sitting by this river he he hears it talking to him and he takes up residence with this guy of Vasudeva, mm-hmm. um who was actually the ferryman who he met earlier. Oh okay. Who's like, hey, it's cool, you can cross my river, and you're like, I know you're good for it. Oh okay, and he's still um, around. It's been a little while. Yeah, he's still around. Like there, there, it's. The book is a little loosey-goosey with time, but I reckon like maybe fifteen or twenty years have passed. Okay, okay. Um, and so he yeah he takes up with this ferryman who doesn't talk a lot, but like here this this is where Siddhartha learns the value of listening, like not just to the river, but also to his new ferryman friend, who is like just like a very good listener, and in listening so well, he is able to like understand and then impart like. Wisdom. Actual wisdom <laughs> yeah
1: funny how that works
2: right um and the, yeah this is another like very simple lifestyle it's not explicitly ascetic but like the when they eat rice and it has bananas in it like that's a that's an indulgence i guess that's like is there that's just like, like
1: happy hour yeah, yeah they're Friday. just like
2: living in this they're living in this hut chilling out and is he like, helping news... the ferryman
1: do work Yeah, like he he
2: learns how to make an oar and he learns how to to do all this stuff. Um, Siddhartha stayed with the ferryman and learned to operate the boat. And when there was nothing to do at the ferry, he worked with Vasudeva in the rice field, gathered wood, plucked the fruit off the banana trees. He learned to build an oar and learned to mend the boat and to weave baskets and was joyful because of everything he learned. And the days and months passed quickly. But more than Vasudeva could teach him, he was taught by the river. Incessantly, he learned from it. Most of all, he learned from it to listen, to pay close attention with a quiet heart, with a waiting, open soul, without passion, without a wish, without judgment, without an opinion. So again, ragging on opinions, huh? But
1: (laughs) yeah, that's interesting. I wonder if that's a if there's another German word that that is if opinion means exactly what we think it means. I bet it does, given the simplicity of the language. Sure. I don't think that there's a different definition of that. Huh, okay.
2: You're not thinking there's some, like, wordplay that we're missing or something?
1: Well, or just that, like, if opinion is the best English word for the German concept that might get put in that sentence. I don't...
2: Sure, sure. Yeah, but I think that the language is pretty pretty clean and clear. Like, I I don't think there's a lot of... Of course, I have no idea, but I, I don't get the idea that there's a lot of really subtle stuff that Hesse is trying to do with the language that I am missing cuz I'm reading it in English. And it
1: was it was published in the US in his lifetime, so presumably he could have weighed in on some stuff.
2: Yeah, history. I mean there have been a lot of translations including posthumous ones, but but yeah, I don't I just I don't think that's what his game is. Okay. Um so he's learning
1: from the river. He's enjoying living there. He's becoming a better person. He's not like sitting under a tree not eating. Right. What happened, He but he's not having any more boning lessons, though.
2: No. Well, okay, so here's the deal with those boning <laughs> lessons, is that Kamala is pregnant. Uh-oh. And guess whose baby it is? Well,
1: probably his, because of all the boning.
2: It is his, okay, And so a few years after this, um the Buddha is dying, and she has become like a convert to Buddhism, and so she is making a sort of journey to his like to his deathbed, basically okay, because okay. people from all around are coming to like see the the Gautama Buddha die, sure, okay, and pay their respects, okay. um, so she is traveling with this with this young boy who's also named Siddhartha. And she and, like, they both stop by this river, and she gets bitten by a snake. Eee. And they are found by uh, Vasudeva and Siddhartha. And they, like, they realize who, like she, like, she and him realize who each other are, and it's revealed that there's this son that they both had together, and then she dies and leaves the son with Siddhartha. But... Siddhartha, the younger, is like a spoiled little weenus, and he's okay. like, <laughs> he sucks.
1: Okay. And like blatantly in the novel, like he just sucks. Like He he's blatantly meant to suck? sucks, yes. Okay. He's
2: intended to suck. Okay. And Siddhartha is like, this is my son. I'm going to win him over with love. Like he goes around, like he doesn't want to do any chores. He doesn't want to do anything because his mom raised him and he's all spoiled but i'm going to like i'm just going to be endlessly patient and eventually he will recognize that and he also will love me and that doesn't happen that's not how it works
1: no that's not usually how it works
2: his son like it, if anything it actually makes his son resent him more for just like for not getting upset with him
1: oh yeah cuz kids throw tantrums so that you get mad right so that they have exerted control over you exactly that's what i've picked up
2: right um so his son resents this this like e- eternal even-handedness and runs away okay and siddhartha is like so he's gone through the entire book up to this point like being a little detached from everything i think you see it the most obviously in the beginning of his like worldly life phase mm-hmm. but he doesn't like he doesn't really love anyone okay to any great degree. Like he doesn't really understand it, but now he's got the son. He does understand what it is to love. And this thing that has like, he's finally learned what love feels like it's, it's, it has fled him. Yeah.
1: That's a weird thing. And so he has
2: this, he has this moment of realization where like, Oh yeah, I did this to my dad when he didn't want me to leave and i <laughs> oh, no. insisted on leaving well
1: first i stood there and stared at him for 3 days and then i ran away <laughs> oh no yes. okay so what what does he draw wisdom from that experience he doesn't does he go after his son
2: he tries to but then eventually like comes back and realizes you know i like i need to go out on my own to get all this experience to start to learn anything and I need to let my son go out and do that same thing. Too. Okay. Okay. Um, and then, yeah, the, the last phase of the book is the one we already talked about. Like, Govinda comes and he a- and Siddhartha conveys to him, like, wisdom, like, knowledge can be transferred, but wisdom can't. I am only, like, like, he's considered wise, like. Has there, he achieved nirvana? Uh, uh no not until like the really the very very end cuz when okay. he's talking to Gov- when he's talking to Govinda he also realizing stuff but like word has spread of these two wise ferrymen who are just really good at listening <laughs> Okay. And um Vasudeva eventually like goes into the woods and we don't see him again and it's just Siddhartha here like running the ferry. Sure. And he's un- he's understood this about his son and he's he's understood you know I needed to go out and become like a greedy man to to learn I guess what it really means to like give that stuff up. Mm, mhm. Like it's mm-hmm. just like he's he's learning from all his experiences and it's and it's changing him like steadily as he keeps learning stuff. Um so he's talking to Govinda and he like he is expressing this knowledge that he now has about like the total like just what life is. And it's just, it's this big mixture of good and bad. And you just kind of have to like, let it all wash over you and accept and, and accept it. Mm-hmm. And that's, I guess what enlightenment is. Um <laughs> answer the 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 inaugural
1: question of this podcast
2: yeah like gee whiz siddhartha bent down picked up a stone from the ground and weighed it in his hand this here he said playing with it is a stone and will after a certain time perhaps turn into soil and will turn from soil into a plant or animal or human being in the past i would have said the stone is just a stone it is worthless it belongs to the world of the maja but because it might be able to become also a human being and a spirit in the cycle of transformations therefore i also grant it importance "'Thus I would perhaps have thought in the past. "'But today I think this stone is a stone. "'It is also animal. "'It is also God. "'It is also Buddha. "'I do not venerate and love it "'because it could turn into this or that, "'but rather because it already and always... "'It is already and always everything.'" And it is this very fact that it is a stone that it appears to me now. And today as a stone, this is why I love it and see worth and purpose in each of its veins and cavities in the yellow, in the gray, in the hardness in the sound it makes when I knock at it in the dryness or wetness of its surface. Uh, there are stones which feel like oil or soap and others like leaves, others like sand. And every one is special and praise the OM in its own way. Each one is Brahman, but simultaneously and just as much it is a stone Is oily or juicy, and this is the very fact which I like and regard as wonderful and worthy of worship. Um, yeah,
1: okay, everything is after after
2: that. After that, he goes into like the words are not good for the secret meaning, everything always becomes a bit different as soon as it is put into words, gets distorted a bit, a bit silly.
1: Mm. Okay,
2: um. Mm. So do and, you? Yeah, the book and the book ends like Govinda like kisses him and and Siddhartha like smiles, having achieved enlightenment. Huh. I've yeah. been talking a lot.
1: No, that's okay. It's <laughs> like there's stuff in there that there's a reason I th- you hear that, and I know we've said a couple times, and I, I think you're right to say that this book is not, ex- you know, it is certainly not explicitly a Buddhist text in any way. It is referencing some buddhist teachings it is referencing the buddha but it is not like pretending to be a religious text in any way um though not, not a
2: text of any specific religion certainly sure sure um
1: though like i don't know that that passage in particular does a good job for me of distilling like some of what we've been talking about this whole episode as to why this why teachings like this appeal to people who aren't necessarily religious or are not like into uh
2: not or, into the idea of the of uh, the whole deity thing i guess yeah
1: people who are not who are not into uh is the word deist or you know monothe like basically monotheistic or pantheistic theism religious. like theism. any kind
2: of theism. Yeah yeah mono poly like all the kinds
1: yes um and like what i don't know if i said earlier buddhism is i think at last count like the fourth most practiced religion on the planet um and i don't know what's the
2: what's the is it like christianity muslim hindu yes and then buddhism okay yeah
1: um and i there was a there was a survey i saw that like certain uh if you like lumped together a bunch of different uh chinese traditions it might be more than buddhism but that's that's a separate thing and there and there's certainly splits within buddhism and there's also like splits like western buddhism is going to be very different than stuff that goes back in india and another well and like even when we
2: when you say christianity and islam uh like it's it's you're also grouping together a million different wildly divergent belief systems so
1: well and those are both abrahamic religions versus buddhism which is not and that gets to the theistic arguments that we were talking about earlier um but yeah it there's a there's also an individualism to this type of philosophy that is very seductive if you are not particularly religious Right. Like you're not. Yeah.
2: It's like when when you're doing at least the kinds of Christianity that I've come up against, there is some aspect of like you are a vessel for like God's word or God's will or whatever. Like it's it's not it doesn't emphasize the self in the way that that Buddhism does. I don't sure. think or like it doesn't it doesn't value or at least in my in my perception like it doesn't value the personal journey as much or like it yeah
1: well and what you you also were you were saying like there's an inherent uh again i'm 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 reminded of that earlier passage that you read when he's actually talking to uh gautama and it's like you there's no way to just like hear this and go yeah that makes sense Like, there's Mm -hmm. all, there's gonna be a period where you're like, okay, that sounds cool, but like, let me go work for 20 years and get rich and then like have a sick soul and then like have to go off and do the rest of the work. Sure. Uh, Which also, like, there's a cool aspect of the forgiveness of the self there, like, both under both frank self reflection of like, I did this to my dad, which is what Siddhartha has. Mm -hmm. Um, and also like, Yes, I spent those decades being a rich merchant dude who was not living my best life. But now I get it, and I'm here to do that. Um,
0: yeah.
1: Hmm. Okay. I don't know what is what is it like. Was it like for you reading it? Because I I've encountered a lot of like folks who've written about when they read this book and they're like, Oh, I read it as a young man and it like shaped like how I thought about what I was going to do with my life. And I don't know exactly what you, what people necessarily mean by that. Um,
2: yeah, I mean, it's clearly I'm not I'm not reading it at a particularly impressionable time in my life. Like I'm 31, like probably the stuff I believe now will remain substantially the same barring any major like upheavals in my life
1: until the aliens show up and until the aliens everything. show up.
2: Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> but it does put into it does put into words really well like like the stuff about um like the like teachings versus opinion the stuff about um like how difficult it is to convey wisdom the stuff about about like how putting stuff into words automatically makes them a little bit silly or a little bit like corrupted in some way um it had a good way of like of putting things that I already sort of thought in a way that made me think, Oh, Hey, that's a really good way to convey that. Sure. Thought or that concept about like that specific thing. That's cool. I'm not saying it changed anything that it, that I feel, but it did like every once in a while you just run into something that really succinctly summarizes something that you already sort of believe. And it makes you like the, the the way that you try to convey that to other people, like from now on, we'll have some component of that thing you read in it.
1: Yeah, I can hear because all, like you yeah. you
2: need to like you need to steal that the way that that person conveyed that thing because they did it so much better than you <laughs> ever have done it or will do it.
1: Well, I can hear you really finding kind of satisfaction and utility in this in this idea of knowledge versus wisdom, and mm-hmm. in particular in particular how those two things exchange between people. The inherent right. obstacles to that, the inherent frustration of that, and I, I also hear that as a teacher, as someone who teaches, um, and I'm- well, yeah, like
2: you're you're a teacher and I'm a writer reporter, like a, like to some extent, our jobs are knowledge transfer, yes, or and- like wisdom wisdom transfer in some cases, and yeah. so yeah, like the like we are both concerned with that, with like how to do that. And what are the shortcomings of that, and how do you try and like make up for them?
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and what are the limitations to like quote unquote teaching wisdom, and and how do you have to just cut people slack for like, if they're going to meet you there, they'll meet you there. Like you can you can invite people to dinner, but you can't make them eat.
2: Yeah, it's like it's it's the show don't tell concept like spread out to encompass an entire human life, which is. <laughs> more than you can do in the space of like a semester or an article. But yeah, yeah, like, like you're always trying to think of like how to, okay. So I know that people are going to absorb this better if I try to help them experience it themselves rather than just telling them about it. So like, how do I, how do I do that? Like, what's the best way to put this into some kind of action rather than just like talking it at them?
1: Well, I don't know how making, a podcast for over 200 episodes does that, but that's certainly what we're doing here. Think about that,
2: Andrew. That's my mind getting blown.
1: If uh, this book blew your mind, you, the listener, because it clearly blew Andrew's. If it blew you, the listener's <laughs> mind, you should let us know. Hit us up on the social media uh, Facebook.com slash OverduePod or Twitter.com slash OverduePod. You can send us an email too at overdupod at gmail.com. I want to thank Michael, Megan, Glenn, Sean, Bethany, Graham, Leanne, Kate, Rachel, Wendy, Jen, Starfish Chick, Thomas, Adam, Dean, Jessica, Mandy, Erica, Angie, Melody, Amanda, Rachel, Nicole, Lizette, and Teresa. Uh, those are just some of the folks who reached out on social media. Also, thanks for some of the great feedback on episode i did with laura last week we had a lot of fun i'm glad it sounds like people enjoyed it uh we missed you andrew glad you're back but we had i'm glad i'm back too because you didn't make any
2: borat jokes no i've heard yet
1: purposefully did not
2: Um, You really dropped the ball on our whole brands like i'm glad to know i can trust you with it when i'm gone (laughs) Uh, folks folks want to learn more about our brand andrew where should they go you can go to overduepodcast.com, which is where we have links to iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, RSS. If you uh, use any of those links, you can subscribe to the show and get new episodes when they're out. If you subscribe in iTunes, do rate and review us. It helps us rise in them charts. It makes us feel good about ourselves. I checked those reviews a couple times when I was on vacation and I was mostly pleasantly informed of what people are thinking about our podcast. Um, Also up on that page, we have Amazon links to the books that we have read and are going to read. We posted June's schedule really recently. We've already juggled it a little bit um, because I was supposed to read Siddhartha for later this month. But I switched that with um, Cushiel's Dart, which is way longer and also hornier. And I'm just going to need more time to like (laughs) to just assimilate it.
1: Uh, for next week, I will be reading Five Children and It by Edith Nesbitt. Cool. Uh, so excited. To so yeah, if, that you, if you
2: if you want to read along with us, like use those links, buy the books, and we get a little bit of a cut of that. And you also, you get to read some books, which is cool. It's like the whole point, right? Um, we have links to HeadGum, our podcast network, Spreaker, our podcast host, to our Patreon page. You can use that to uh, recommend books to us and get them in our queue. Um, this was a Patreon book. I think many, most of the books this month are Patreon books. Mm-hmm. So just thank you to everybody who supports the show that way. Um, it really like we can buy equipment. That's like the whole live show thing we're doing. Like in Boston, we we're paying for entirely with money that you guys yep uh, sent into us. So like it's 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 helping us do more stuff and and see more people. And yeah, it's good.
1: That's all I got, Andrew.
2: That's all I got too. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, We will be back next Monday. Until then, try to be happy.